Daniel's going to light the first Advent candle for the first Sunday. Uh, so, Daniel, go ahead. Uh, if you don't know, Advent is a Latin word that means uh, the coming, like the awaiting. Um, and so uh, each Sunday of Advent from here until Christmas, we will light a candle. Um, I'm zoomed in way too much over on the screen, uh, crew. And then I'm going to try to stand a little bit off to this side a little bit so we can kind of see, there we go, a candle a little bit in the back. It did not light. The wick is like this big. Come on. It's not going to light. Three pogi. Oh. Who said never? Mr. Young to the rescue, maybe. We don't have a long enough wick. Jim, can we get that lighter too? Sorry. Let's try it now. Shh. Sorry, 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 sorry. How many people does it take to light a candle? Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> um, we're going to watch a quick little video real quick, so uh, if you could pay attention and then can you cut the light? Thank you. 
Hey, Jim, what if I told you there was another way to do Christmas? To get there, we need to go back, way back, to the very first Christmas. Thank you. Um, so this weekend, I had to do a homework assignment for Mason, uh, and it was one of those kind of proud father moments. You know, he's in first grade, and so I had to do homework with him. Uh, and the homework assignment was this. He, uh, the teacher gave us a six-by-six six piece of paper, a square piece of paper like this, and the instructions were to write down all of your Christmas traditions so that they could come in and share it with the class, and then what the uh, entire class would do was to take their decorated six-by-six six, uh, thing and then make a larger, like, first-grade class quilt. And so the assignment was that we're supposed to go ahead and write down all the things we do during Christmas and they can share and talk about it. Um, and it's going to be great and festive and fun and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, Christina got the, uh, my wife Christina got the homework assignment first and then she started listing out the traditions before I got to them. And then she's like, honey, can you finish this up with Mason um, and let me know what we forgot. And here's what she wrote down. She wrote down uh, the fact that my sister, Gloria, or whom the kids call Momo, she always comes every winter, every Christmas. She wrote that, that we always try to go see like a Christmas light show. Generally on Christmas Day in the evening, the kids will watch a Christmas movie, um, things like that. And then, of course, we have, lots of, we have lots and lots of yummy food, um, things like that. We come to church and we worship. Uh, and then she was like, oh, and then for us, we don't do Christmas gifts. We do New Year's gifts instead um, to kind of focus on the, on the reason for the season, that type of thing. And then she goes, honey, did I forget anything? And then I looked at it and I said, we forgot the main thing, which for us, starting on just, uh, December 1st, we do an Advent calendar devotional where each day we read from a book um, that Ann Voskamp uh, wrote. And each day you read and you do devotional, and then we have a little uh, kind of an emblem thing, and we hang it as a calendar to get us ready for the season. Now, it struck me as I was doing this homework assignment and going over it with Christina that even though for our family, we take so much careful attention to not miss out on Christmas, to make sure that the reason for the season, as we say, is indeed Jesus. Even us, we got caught up in all the other things that we do for Christmas and not the main thing, which is the fact that God of the universe who spoke everything into being decided to become one of us and was born as a baby. That we somehow had got caught up in all of this, that we were somewhat missing out on what I call the mystery of Christmas. 
Now, I'm not suggesting to all of you that you guys don't come uh, to church on Christmas Day and worship and that what you're doing is all wrong. I'm not suggesting that. But I think by and large, at the core of who we are, the vast majority of the world, including North America, we miss out on the mystery that the God who spoke everything into being comes into the world as a baby. And because we miss out, we don't enter into the story And rather, the story is just floating around us in the periphery, and we don't actually ever engage. That we get caught up in the other things of the season, and we miss out on what's called the greatest story ever told, the one that changes everything forever. And so this Advent, as you saw in the video, I invite all of us to join in on what's called the conspiracy. That's not my idea. That's another uh, group of uh, pastors who created that. But I want, us to, I want to invite us to enter into this story, to discover, to experience, and to live out Christmas for what it all means. And you uh, saw it in the video most likely. It means to worship fully, to spend less, to give more, and to love all. Basically, what I'm saying to you is that Christmas every year, and Chris, can you turn me down? I'm too loud. Every year, Christmas, it changes something about who we are. And I think today, hopefully, we'll see that when you experience Christmas the way that I think it's meant to, you will, as I will, as we all will, worship fully. And that changes something about the way that we live our lives. That all of this, the Advent candle and the lights and all of this, that there's a, there's a deeper thing going on. And that I hope, as a church, that we do not miss it. Now, for the sake of time, we're already running late. I'm not going to read all of the scripture that we have. Uh, if you put up the banner, Patrick, you'll see the four uh, scripture verses. If you go check on YouTube, you'll see which ones. That are not this one, the, the actual sermon banner. Um, it has uh, the four uh, scriptures listed. But I'm just going to read a small section from Luke chapter 2. Um, we're going to start in verse 15. Uh, and then, oh, sorry, we're going to start in verse um, 10 and then go to verse 14 really quickly. And then uh, we'll get right into uh, the sermon for the rest. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. And again, it's not the whole section. We'll just read a snippet of it today. But the angel said to them, the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, for which which will be all for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on, and pe- and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, if you know me, I, you know that every Christmas I read all the Christmas stories in every single gospel from beginning to end. And I try to make that a habit of mine. But have you ever noticed that for such an important event in the world, one that I'm claiming changes the world forever, have you noticed that when Jesus comes, when God of the universe is born as a baby, there was literally only a handful of people who were there to witness it? Mary, the 13-year-old peasant teenager, her engaged-to-be husband Joseph, the lowly carpenter, the four magi, the wise men from the east, from Persia, and the really lowly shepherds who come in from the fields nearby. That's it. For such an extraordinary event, literally nobody was there to witness it. There's no fanfare. There's no grand entry. There's no lights, action, camera. There's nothing at all that would tell anyone that something big was happening in the land. Now, if today... The king of England or the prince or Prince Harry or whoever he is, I probably, probably butchered that. He had a son. Everybody in the world would know. 
now you're probably like, well, pastor, there's no Twitter, there's no Instagram, so you know, we don't get the news the way that they did. Uh, we get the news different the way that they did back then. But even a royal son back in the day, would have they would have shut the whole city down and there would have been a royal procession, a ceremony, a parade even, to celebrate the coming of the next king. But when the king of the universe comes to the earth, there's literally nobody there, nobody of any significance whatsoever to witness the event and to celebrate it. Except angels who worship the king. Every encounter of Jesus, his birth, includes angels and worship. For Mary, the angel Gabriel appears to her and tells her that she's going to become pregnant with the son who is the Lord, the Messiah, the son of God. And she worships in giving the Magnificat, the song in Luke chapter 2. Joseph, he finds out, she, Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And he's about to divorce her. And then, of course, in a dream, the angels appear to him and tell him, no, 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 don't do what you're about to do. Take Mary as your wife. And he does. He worships. He obeys. The Magi, they follow a star. They meet with the King Herod, who's kind of crazy. And then they meet baby Jesus, and they fall on their feet. They fall to their knees in their face, and they bow down and worship. And then in a dream, the angels appear to them and say, hey, don't go back to Herod. He's going to kill you. Go back this way. And the shepherds laying low in the field at night, an angel comes and says, hey, a big thing is going on tonight. You need to go to Bethlehem. And there you'll find baby Jesus. He's the king of the world. Don't be afraid. And then the, end, the multitudes come and they worship and they go and they tell everybody about what's happening. And then they go out and then they worship. Every person who was present at the birth of Jesus, who encountered even an infant Jesus, they worshiped fully. From the deep places of their heart, a genuine and heartfelt and intimate worship, it sprang forth. Because what happens when you encounter Jesus is that you worship. Even if you encounter a baby infant Jesus with a bunch of animals in a side barn of a house, you still worship. It's just what's happening. And I know we all think babies are cute. I have three of them. Well, they're not really babies anymore. I'm kind of sad. But babies are cute. But you don't ever worship babies, do you? That's kind of weird. You don't fall to your feet and bow at the feet of an infant who cries and only cries. That's weird. But the Magi, the shepherds, Mary and Joseph all bowed down to this infant baby laying in a manger, which is literally a side barn for animals, because they knew and they felt that they were encountering something Big. That's the mystery. Which means if year after year, when Advent and Christmas comes around, what we remember is not that the baby Jesus was born. And what we remember is everything else I fear for us that we have missed out. Which makes sense, because everybody else back in the day, other than these four groups of people, they missed out too. And so this Advent family, we can't miss out, I really hope for our lives, for our sakes, that we cannot miss out on this. And hopefully through this season of Advent, as we go through this Advent conspiracy, understand what it means to enter into the story, you will indeed worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. And today I wanted to focus on this question. What does it mean for us in the season of Christmas, knowing that God becomes human through, the, uh, through a form of baby Jesus, that we worship fully. And I think it means four things. And we're going to try to go through these pretty quickly because I'm running out of time. And you can put the screen up there. It means COLA. It's just a terrible acronym I made just so I can help you remember it better. It means nothing other than I just put the word together. Um, COLA. 
first. Create the expressions of your heart. O, obey the, the call to follow. L, love the least of these. And A, arrest our fears and everything that stands in the way. Now, worship for us means that we do all four of these things through our encounter of Jesus. Let's go through these one by one really quickly and then kind of wrap it up all together. Create the expression of your heart. Mary is a 13-year-old peasant teenager from an insignificant town engaged to be married to a poor carpenter. Mary was probably the most normal and average girl you would ever meet. Maybe too normal, even for our standards, to be doing what she's doing. Then one night, she's in a room, and then the angel Gabriel appears to her and says, Hey, guess what? I got good news for you. You're going to become pregnant. Excuse me? By the Holy Spirit. Excuse me? Oh, and the baby you're going to have, not just a normal baby, that's going to be God himself in baby form in your womb, and you're going to give birth to God himself, the Son of God. And what does she do? Simply, in the end, she sings. She says, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, the servant of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. She says, Everything of me, all of me, you can have for your doing. And by the way, ask any mother out there. Pregnancy is literally, it takes over all of you, every facet. She says, All of me, you can have. And even before Jesus is born, what happens in Mary is that she sings, she magnifies, she glorifies, she praises God for choosing a humble girl like her to do these mighty things, to be merciful, to be mighty, to fill her, to fill the hungry, to oppose the proud, to exalt the humble, and all these things that she says in Luke 2. That for this little teenager girl in Mary, Jesus' coming sprang forth in her a song unlike the world had ever heard. A theologian says this, he says, a young girl, unwed and without power, influence or wealth, cradles within her womb the divine power of the universe. The creator who spoke creation into place is taking on fingers and toes inside her belly, and the one who holds all the wealth of the universe will soon nurse at her breast. Jesus is a fetus inside the worshiping Mary who recognizes through grace that this great God is doing a great thing for all people through her. I think worshiping fully for all of us during the season of Advent means that we create things. All of you have creative genes in your system. I love to cook. It's what I do during Christmas. Caramel and chocolate chip cookies are what you can expect from me if you are close. Just kidding. All of you are close to me, but I can't make caramel. So all of you, that'd be insane. But you, what can you create? Because I think when Jesus comes and you encounter him, you start to create. One of the calls that we'll have this Advent is to buy less and to create more. To create things to give to people rather than to buy and give them to people. To give of your heart and your creative energy. When you allow the mystery of Christmas to enter in, I think what we do, as Mary does, is we create that which we were called to do from the very beginning of time. Oh, then obey the call to follow. Joseph, Mary's engaged husband, is a carpenter. He's a nobody. And although he's in the line of David, which means something, he really is of no status and of no power. And he's got a problem. He's engaged to be married to a girl, and in their engagement period, shocking news to him, it's found that she's pregnant. And of course, if you are like me or anybody, any other human being on earth, you automatically assume, rightfully so I think, that your fiancé engaged to be has cheated on you with another dude and got pregnant, unfortunately. So he's in a dilemma. He's like, what do I do with the situation? Most people would have humiliated her, would have taken her to court and made her look like a fool and be like, you adultering, cheating little, mm, you know what. But he decides, you know what, I'm going to do this quietly. I'm going to divorce her, and we're just going to be on our way, and we're going to go about things peacefully. And then in the night after he's decided this, an angel appears to him and says, yo, 
Joseph, it's not what you think. She didn't cheat on you. She got impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I know. Sounds weird, but just go with it. And what she's going to have, the baby, is not just any baby. It's God himself, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And you have to take her to be your wife. You have to adopt this baby, raise this baby up so that he can become the Messiah of the world. And what does Joseph do? He says, okay. He obeys. He follows. He does a foolish thing. Because, again, to do so would be the stupidest thing that he could have chosen to do. Everybody would have thought that he was a crazy man, a really desperate man, for taking this cheating, no-good-for-nothing Mary, rather than kicking her to the curb like everyone else would have done. But rather, because God speaks to him, because he realizes that what's going on doesn't really make any sense to all of us, if we're being honest, but that he engages and enters into the mystery, and then he keeps Mary as his wife, and then adopts this son, Jesus. And because he obeys, you know how it works. It always strikes me that the fact that if Joseph says, you know what, nah, I'm not in this. I don't really want to deal with this. It's too much for me. It's too much hassle. It's too much stress. I'm not going to deal with it. People are going to think I'm a fool and think I'm stupid. You know what, I'd rather not. If he says no, you know what happens? Everything goes wrong. Because Mary is not in the line of David. And if you know the prophecies, Jesus has to be of the line of David. And if so, Joseph said, Mary, you are a, you know what? You're a cheating, no good fool, and I don't want nothing to do with you. And if he kicks you to the curb, then somehow the whole plan would have gotten ruined. I'm sure God would have done something about it, but I don't know what that would be. Because Mary has nothing to do with the line of David, only through Joseph. And if Jesus wasn't in the line of David, nobody would have given him any credit because he wouldn't have fulfilled the prophecy. So Joseph, put into a ridiculous situation, he obeys the call to follow, and I think what we are called to do in this season of mystery is to call, is to obey the call, to follow him. Now let me tell you, the call of Jesus is most often unconventional, weird, and not normal. Actually, those are all three of the same words. I'll just fix one of them. But God becoming a baby is also not conventional. It's not normal. It's weird. But he does that for you and I so that we can have life because of it. And so we obey in this season to give more than we take. We obey as Christians to choose love over violence, to choose grace over vengeance, to choose unity over division, and so on and so forth. And we choose then to obey and enter into the manger, the side barn where Jesus was born, and follow him for all of our lives, though it may cost us a lot, though it may take us to places we don't want to go, but because there's a life in that barn, there's life in the story. Then L, moving right along, love the least of these. The shepherds, as you may know, are the lowest of the low. They're so low as a people that they were thought to be thieves. They were in the same social class as that of thieves. They were ritually unclean in the eyes of the Jewish people, which is a big deal. They were outsiders, outcasts, with no real way into the kingdom of God. And they were shunned by the mainstream population. So they're basically nobodies, and they had to kind of always hang out on the outskirts of town. They were never able to actually do anything. 
But as the infant Jesus is being born, as, mother, as Mary the mother of God is singing the Magnificat and Joseph is obeying the call to follow, an angel appears to the shepherds who are hanging out in the field in the, in the dark of night and they say, hey, you, shepherds, I have a job for you. There's a baby being born in town. He's the savior of the world. And you must go and worship him. And in doing so, tell everybody what is going on. Interestingly, God chose a group of people who were invisible to most of the world to be the guests of honor for the most magnificent thing to ever happen on the face of the planet. And as soon as they heard, you probably know the story, they decide and go. They go, hey, we got to go check this out. And they go into town, and they find Jesus, and as soon as they find Jesus, they realize that everything the angel has said was exactly as they had told them. There's a baby lying in a manger in Bethlehem. They go and they realize this is the king of the world, Jesus the Savior. And then they go and they tell everyone they can find. And all the people there are marveling at the fact that indeed all this is true. And it says in the text that they go and they worship and they glorify and they tell the masses basically of all that is happening. Can you imagine? The most significant thing to ever happen in the world and the people that God chooses to be the guests of honor are shepherds. If you're looking for a modern parallel, it's like literally having the inauguration of the president and having only homeless people in Washington, D.C. be invited. And not only, just the hom- not only homeless people being invited to the inauguration, asking them to be the ones to tell the world that indeed we have a new president. You wouldn't do it. It's not the way you would do things. That's stupid. It's not smart. But indeed, that's exactly what's happening here. The mystery of Christmas and the Advent is that indeed, God chooses the lowly. He becomes the lowly. I've always never really quite grasped why, and yes I do, but still know why God becomes a baby. Babies are fragile. My littlest one is putting this to the test because she's like a tank and she never gets hurt, but still, they're fragile. They require a lot of attention and care. And God yet somehow comes. And I've always wondered why. And the best thing that I can think of is that indeed, the reason why Jesus does this is because he needs to show everyone that he knows what it means to be low. So that all the people in the world who feel like they're nothing will know that Jesus knows exactly what it means to be them. Why does he choose to be a, a son of a poor carpenter? So that everyone who comes from a poor family who doesn't have any money will realize that the God of the universe knows exactly what it means to be them. Why does Jesus come from a family that's broken? Have you ever wondered? His father, Joseph, isn't actually his real father. He doesn't actually have one. I know it kind of sounds weird because he's Jesus, but as a human, he doesn't have an actual father. He's adopted. He comes from a blended and broken family. Why? So that all of us who are like that, who live this life, would know that our God knows what it feels like to be like us. So that every person on the face of the planet, no matter who you are, where you come from, how you got there, would know that our God is a God of the low, is a God of the poor, is a God of the people. And if you think God can't use you, if he can use the shepherds to announce the coming of the king of the universe, he can use you to do anything he chooses. And so when you enter into the story, you worship and you love. Do you love the least of these? If we're being honest, a lot of times we feel like we're the least of these. And so the story is about a story of love where we feel loved, we receive the love, and we give the love to all the people, including.
including and maybe most prominently the least of these. And the last in our COLA, again, sorry for the terrible acronym, A, arrest your fear. The Magi, the wise men, we three kings, I don't think kings is the right word, but anyways, the Magi from the east were a group of astrologers and scientists from Persia. And they see, as they study, scientists, they see a change in the star pattern, and they go, hey, wait, that means something. And in the ancient text, when that happens, we know that we're supposed to go over east to Jerusalem, and something big is happening over there, and we're supposed to go find the king of the Jews. That's what their text told them. That's what they knew. So they go over to Jerusalem, and of course, if you know the story, I mean, you, you should know by now, Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem. But when they get to Jerusalem as foreigners, they must go first and enter into the king's court because they're on official business. But the Magi, in my opinion, are kind of stupid, or maybe they're not stupid. They know what they're doing, but I think they're a little stupid. Why? They go into King Herod's court, and they say, hey, King Herod, yeah, you the current king, another king was born in your city today, the true king of the Jews. Do you know where he is? Do you know where he is? And then Herod's like, huh? I didn't know this was happening. So then he calls his people, because King Herod, he's a smart guy, well, kind of, right? And he goes, wait, if there's another king, king of the Jews, born in my city or near my city, I got to kill that kid. Because if he's alive, he's going to take after my throne. No good. So then he calls over his people, right, his, like, wise people or whatever, and then he goes, hey, do you know anything about this? Do you know anything about this king of the Jews who's going to be born with the star and all that kind of stuff? So he asks all the questions, and then his people tell him, oh, yeah, 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 there's a prophecy saying he's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's where he's at. And so then Herod concocts this plan in his mind. And he goes, okay, I got to find this baby. I got to kill these wise men and the baby, and then I'll be good. So he goes, hey, I found out for you. They're in Bethlehem. There's a little baby, most likely somewhere. Go find him. Follow the star, and you'll get there. And then when you do, let me know where he's at so I can go and worship this king of the Jews. Now, underneath all this, of course, Herod is planning on killing everybody. And if you think I'm kidding, that's who he was. He killed people for his power. He tortured and manipulated and violated his own family so that he could use his power. It's what he did. And so the Magi, they go into this court, they get the news, and they finally go into Bethlehem. They find the baby wrapped in the cloth and do that, and then they worship. It says they fall on their faces and they worship. And as they do, they offer them their gifts, frankincense, gold, and myrrh, which, by the way, aren't like little tiny gifts. They're the best gifts that these wise men could bring. And then after they offer these gifts, they realize they have to go. And then in their sleep, an angel appears to them and says, no, 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 no. don't go back over there. Go this way because Herod's going to kill you. Go out this way. And they follow and then they make the plan. Now, as I was studying this story, all of a sudden something occurred to me. If you read each of the stories, and again, hopefully the, uh, the, the passages will be up on the screen at some point near the end. If you read each of these stories, the story of when, when the angel appears to Mary, when the angel appears to Joseph in his dream, when the angels appear to the shepherds, and even in this story, when the angels appear to the magi in a dream and tell them to go another way, you'll find these three words that I found particularly fascinating about all these stories. Do not be afraid. Somehow in the story of Christmas, as everyone's trying to find out this little baby and what the baby's doing, the angels make it very clear that the first and one of the first things they must do is to not to be afraid. Gabriel appears to Mary, and the first thing she, he says is, do not be afraid, for something great is happening. When the angels appear to the shepherd, they're first terrified of what's going on, and they say, do not be afraid. 
When Joseph decides to divorce Mary, the angel appears to him and says, do not be afraid. And though the text doesn't say, when the ma- I'm sure when the angels appear to the magi and say, hey, Herod's going to kill you. Don't be afraid. Go this way and you'll be okay. What does that mean for us? I thought. And the more and more I thought, and the more and more I thought about it, and the more and more I understood what we're doing here in the Advent conspiracy, is that I think maybe the thing that we must do first, before creating, before obeying, before loving, is that we must arrest our fears, which simply means to have God take them away from us. Now you might be asking, Pastor, what are we afraid of? It's Christmas. There's lights, there's Christmas music, there's, you know, warm smells and, you know, pine trees and all this other good stuff. Like, there's nothing to be afraid of. This is like the the most gentlest and coolest season of the year. What are we afraid of? Well, if you look at the stories of all four people, I think there's a lot for them to be afraid of. Now I'm going to put this out there. We're going to finish, hopefully, uh, in, in, in a little bit. What would it be like for you if you actually this Christmas didn't buy a single gift for anyone and actually made something for people and then took the money that you would have spent on those gifts and then donated it to a country like the Sudan so you can build wells for people who don't have water? What does that look like for you? What if instead of focusing your energy on what you might get, what you might not get, what you want to get for people, what you want to do, the decorations in your house and all this other, you spend all of your energy and focus on the fact that in this season, there are many people who don't have families and therefore won't be able to celebrate anything related to Christmas because they don't have the means. So therefore you spend your time to think of them, to pray for them, to give to them. What would it mean if you told your parents, Mom, Dad, I don't want anything for this Christmas. And whatever you're going to give for me, I'd rather give it to the homeless in our city. What would it mean for you if someone gave you something and you did not return it with another gift that was just as good and rather you made them a card or you baked them some cookies or my caramel? Now, I probably know what you're feeling at this point. You're not feeling too hot right now. Probably feeling really unsettled. Because everyone in the world is going to think that you're crazy. Because people will say, oh, no, 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 you don't have to go that far. You don't have to be that crazy. I go to church on Christmas Day. Now, I'm not saying none of those things or all those things are bad. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that oftentimes those things get in the way of a worship that happened to the people who encountered Jesus and went to him. I think arresting our fears of what this season means for us is a first step in worshiping fully the way that we are intended to. So we can create and obey and love. To actually step into the story. Again, the people that met Jesus in his time, they encountered an infant 
baby, most likely crying because it's what they do, laying in a manger wrapped in some ghetto clothing, just cloth wrapped in this thing with sheep and smells and the poop and all this stuff. This is where Jesus was born. Could you imagine trying to worship if I brought a bunch of sheep in here and they started pooing all over the place and there's hay everywhere and all this other stuff? Could you imagine trying to worship in that space? First of all, I think all of us, including me, I'd probably be like, mm, I can't do it, it smells too bad. Mm. So maybe the question we need to ask ourselves is if we really want to enter into the story, what is it going to take? And maybe more prominently, the question we have to ask ourselves is, what are we afraid of? I've had to think about this. Again, I told you, and I'm not bragging. But we don't share Christmas gifts in our family. We don't. We don't have a whole lot of things in our house that represent the Christmas season. And no matter how hard my wife, Christina, tries to do all these things, I tell her no all the time because I'm a Grinch about these things. So my kids go to school and the day after, and then the moment they get back from the holidays, everyone asks them, what did you get for Christmas? And they say, nothing. And rather, they will say to all their friends, we, we, we each went to a store, bought a gift, and then we gave it to a homeless person we saw on the street. That may sound noble to you because that's your, your, your church people and, and, you know, your Christians in church. But in the school, for a seven-year-old, that's ridicule. But we try to encourage our son to say, this season is about the king of the universe coming to, di coming to be born so that he can die for us, so that we can have life forever. And if we're being honest, Christina and I, every time I think about it, I, my own fears of a parent, they come into play. I don't want to be seen as that weirdo parent who can't give their kid a Christmas gift. But I think to myself, this is really helping Mason and Connor and Kara and all of us enter into the mystery of what it means have the king of the universe come into our world so that we be, can become close to him. And we found ourselves over the last couple years as we've done this to create, I told you, all of our, our students, all of our kids, excuse me, all of my children's teachers get salted caramel that Christina and I make. Now mostly just Christina because I taught her and I'm too lazy to stir a caramel for an hour. And they look forward to it every year. I bake Christmas cookies. It takes 30 hours to make because the dough has to sit there for 24. And yes, we took Mason and Connor and Kara the other day to go to the store and they picked out jeans and a pair of shoes for a family that we're giving in the season of need. They picked out the clothes. What is it going to take for us this season and every season and every day to enter into the mystery that is the Advent? So your life and my life would be worshipful. Now, as I invite the praise team up and we finish, I want to say one quick thing before we end. There's a very high likelihood that oftentimes what I say in this season to Cleveland today and what Pastor Bruce will say and what I will say throughout the rest of the series will become a burden and an obligation to you. I really hope it doesn't become that. I'm not in any way suggesting that if you do or don't do what I say or what we talk about means that you're terrible or anything. I'm not saying that at all. 
I really hope and I pray that God would lift that terrible idea and spirit away from us. That you would enter in because you look at it and you say, I want to be a part of that mystery. I want to be like the people who encountered Jesus back in the day. Why? Because I'm selfish in the sense that I want to be free from all the pressures of what the season means so I can worship my God with everything I have. Come what may. And that's my hope for you. That's our hope. you would enter in. So I'm going to give you a moment. I know we're running a little late. You guys can come up. What is it going to take for you and I, all of us, to enter into this mystery this season? In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about spending less. That's not a euphemism. That's not some fancy words. That's actually spending less. We're going to talk about giving more. We're going to choose together, hopefully, a foundation or a cause to give our money to. We're going to take special offering, aside from the offering that you give, hopefully, that by the time Christmas rolls around, you would have saved some money and given that so that we can go ahead and maybe build some wells in Africa or build homes in Haiti or whatever it is that we choose to do. And hopefully, in this season, we will find ourselves loving all, including the poor people and the lowly in the city and including the people in your lives that are hard to love. And in doing so, my hope and prayer for you is that you would find yourself worshiping him. Alive and free from all the pressures of everything else and just completely lost in the worship of our king who is the greatest of all kings. And so for a moment, before the praise team leads us in response, will you take a moment and ask yourself, what is it going to take for me to enter in. Or maybe the question you need to ask before that is, do I want to enter in? If the answer to that is no, that's okay. But what is it going to take for this season of Advent, now and for Christmas, would be the most worshipful season of your life? That you would be enthralled that the God of the universe who speaks all things into being, would choose to become a tiny little baby, the king of the poor, the king of all the people, who will grow up, live, and die so that you and I can live forever. Join me in prayer. Father, we, I admit, that this story seems so normal to us because we encounter it every year. We've been doing it since we were literally a baby. We've heard all the stories. We've heard all the rhymes. We've sung all the songs. But help us in this season to enter into this conspiracy, to this mystery, to this just, just totally unfathomable thing that you, the God of the universe, would choose to be born through a 13-year-old peasant teenager from an insignificant town married to a lowly and poor carpenter, celebrated only by the lowly shepherds and the four magi who were threatened to be killed. And that yet somehow we are invited to enter into that manger. So help us to do so. And in doing so, may we find the glory of who you are. The glory of a king 
unlike any other. Would you help us to worship fully with all that we have? And may this season indeed be the greatest season of all. May each day that we live, each breath that we take, be one of worship, freedom, joy, glory, and gladness. For the king of the world has come to us to save us, to make us his own, and to give us life eternal. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take some time and pray and then pray.